Thank you, everybody, for listening. Today, I'm talking to Jane Portman. She is the co-founder and CEO of Userless, a B2B SaaS email platform. She is also the host of the UI Breakfast podcast and the Better Done Than Perfect podcast. It has over 260 episodes, so it is a very long podcast if you want to have a look at that one. A lot of very cool episodes. And she is also a former UI UX consultant. Jane, how are you doing? Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for having us here today. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It must feel interesting uh, as a veteran podcast host dealing with a more junior podcast host. Is that why? <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you've done? I'm dealt just with purely a lot? enjoying. I'm just purely enjoying being in the guest seat occasionally. That's all. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Hopefully, it feels like less work. I would hope. Cool. So today, I wanted to chat about user activation, particularly B two B free trial users to paid. And I was curious to know, based on your background in UI UX, how does user activation fit together with your perspective as a UI UX person? Is it part of a greater theory that seems to apply or what's on your mind when it comes to activation? I think the biggest misconception is that user activation is something something narrow that can be done in one day or applied or tackled on to an existing product, but it's a more holistic, uh, holistic question. And as a, as a SaaS business owner, activation is extremely important for all of us because it's where your marketing efforts and sales efforts, when you bring someone on board, then the conversion rates, rate applies. How many of these users stay and become your customers and become loyal customers? So that rate uh, applying that happens from somebody creating an account to somebody becoming a customer, even a free customer or paying customer even better. It actually impacts your entire business. So even a small improvement done there can impact your whole like product funnel and uh, financial situation. That's why it's much more exciting to activate your hard-earned leads better then try and fill up the top of the funnel with more people. That's uh, that's never a good recipe. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. What are some typical things that people get wrong, either in their approach or mindset about activation? There are different things, uh, like different stages of solving this problem. And stage number one is uh, admitting that activation is important to you and that every founder is, is, is doing a great job, like declaring that, yes, user onboarding is important to us. It's, it's another couple of years until they understand that they not only need to declare that, but actually to dedicate time, human resources, money, whatever that means for them to implement all those things they want to do. So that's, uh, if, if you've, if you've gone to the implementation stage, congratulations, you're already doing great. And then there is the mechanics of uh, like how you orchestrate that experience, how you tailor it to your customers, where a lot of problems also exist because nobody's born an email automation specialist, nobody's born an UX consultant, nobody's born a customer experience designer. And in order to implement a successful onboarding, you, you've got to do it all, a little bit of everything. So... The biggest problem is probably people reinventing everything from scratch, reinventing the wheel because they lack the common practice, even though they could have read up on bad practices or maybe hired a narrow specialist who who can do like something small very well. 
So I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very complex thing and uh, there are many mistakes you can do at every stage. <laughs> yeah, understood. From, from the few colleagues I've talked to about this, there seems to be two camps that I noticed. One camp is like, oh, yeah, I should get around to it someday. I know it's really important and it's, yep. you know, it's affecting our profitability, but they sort of never get around to it, looking at it in detail. And then another camp is like, let me just shoot out five to seven emails in sequence and hopefully that'll do something. It's better than nothing. It's it's, it's already something, right? It can. La- the typical uh, typical situation is you set up those five emails and then you let them sit for three years. And then when you have like good numbers in your funnel, then you're like, I should revise that. I'm losing some dollars at this stage. <laughs> mm, interesting. Yeah, that that does make sense. So if you were to suggest a more sophisticated approach to recommend to people listening what how would you break it up so would uh, using the five email example is is that part of your approach to say put in those five emails and get started or, or where should they start definitely five emails are great usually what we see is those five emails being uh, like hard-coded either within the product itself so there is no like external platform so the founder just writes something it's hard-coded in their code base uh, they have to go dive into code to change anything so they're just like set and forget kind of thing so step number one would be to move from this stage towards having a dedicated tool where not where you don't have to go into code and and uh, edit your emails so any email marketing tool will do and then setting up some sort of basic data integration that would send uh, behavior information from your backend about your um, customer success metrics, the user current progress. And we're not talk- talking button clicks and mouse movements. We're talking like, if, if oh, okay, our imaginary example is Sparkle, a photo editing app. Just it's, it's on the tip of my tongue because I talk about it a lot, often. The number of photos, the number of projects inside, uh, like if, 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 if the stats are zero, that means they're not using something yet. If the stats are more, you can judge like how active they have been. People often have this all or nothing mindset. They're like, I'm going to have this amazing data tracking and uh, things like that and 20 campaigns. But just going from, from zero to one as well on that, uh, having a few success metrics, having a tool that has those, those metrics imported uh, integrated and then being able to just send something simple to begin with and then it's a it's a journey of iterating adding more as you produce more helpful content for example you will be enriching those campaigns with that content and just growing and nurturing them over time the biggest problems on that front they're usually not not based on actual limited resources, but based on psychological resistance. Because if you have like your emails hardened code, or if you have them done by a consultant 20 years ago, it's a super dusty situation. You're like, they're so bad, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> and the actual time to go in and write a couple emails is like half an hour, if you know what you're doing. But the psychological resistance is enormous. And also... These emails are automated. So if you make a mistake, potentially, it's going to affect many, many recipients. And that's scary. So potential incompetence, being afraid of making mistakes uh, multiplied by like the scale of automation, is it's so hard mentally to sit down and do that, even though the task itself, it's not as bad. 
A hundred percent. I have a saying, and I'm sure other people say it, but you're not a real email marketer if you've never accidentally emailed thousands of people with a rogue automation and gotten uh, yes. angry emails yes, in reply. Of course, and everyone has been there, so I can really understand. So you mentioned, okay, so when you start, you probably have things hard coded. You need to move to a platform that is not doing everything by hard coded then you need to make sure that you're integrating with the application so that you can collect the data that you need. And then you mentioned there that there's an all or nothing sort of, I guess, trap in a way that people might avoid doing this to pick a few key metrics, a few key... um, If that's okay, uh, to reiterate the importance of uh, the data integration. This concept, surprisingly, is not in the head of many people. There, so uh, we are all used to using tools like Mailchimp, where you the way you get people in there is well, they subscribe, but also you import a CSV, so they just live in your tool. The way it works with SaaS products with products is that you need to continuously update those success metrics on every user profile. And I've had very smart marketers come to us and say, like, where is that upload button? Where can I upload the list of my customers? And that does not make any sense because that list is going to change in five minutes. Their stats are going to change. New people are going to sign up. So it's an ever-going integration from your backend to uh, the email platform. And there can be all kinds of different complex setups through, let's say, data platforms like Segment and advanced data setups, but the general idea of having your customer data as a foundation. It's not in the head of everybody. So if we can like instill one concept, it would be that. Like it's it's interrelated. We have a customer data in form of events and properties. Then we have segmentation and then we have campaigns. All people think about is usually just straight to campaigns, but you need to plan the whole thing. Yeah, understood. When it comes to pulling those metrics and that data how do you not get overwhelmed here like is there a particular way to work out what is it you know you bring over a couple in the beginning and then you keep adding it to it or how how should people go about this something like that but if you just sit down uh, and write something like on paper from top of your head and hand it over to your developer that is like a a road to 100% not enough or like not correct. The way to go, and we've, we've thought about it a lot, like how do we recommend, like what do we actually recommend people to do? And at the moment, uh, the recommendation is to start planning your life cycle segments as the, the first thing. That's kind of the key that connects campaigns and metrics because when you know the journey of the customer, you will need to see how exactly you will uh, see them like transitioning from one stage to another. Uh, so if we're talking about a situation with a free trial, you will need a property, something like billing state from trialing to active to or past due. And you will be segmenting uh, people from trial to paying customers based on that property. If you don't have a trial, then you will need some success metrics to differentiate a any user from an activated user, for example. So when you map out that journey and try to figure out like what exactly I'm going to be sending to them and why, then you will see what data you are lacking. And it, it's, not a, it's not a ton, but you will know exactly what's necessary. And then you can plan a little bit and then you can start that integration. Otherwise, if you just like, oh, I'm going to track the number of photos and the number of albums, 
you're going to definitely have to follow up with your developer and like, oh, I forgot this and I forgot that. Uh, with uh, a little bit planning upfront, you will really dramatically reduce the chance of a mistake. An analogy that we've come up lately is that essentially we're selling a hammer here, like a construction tool, but you need to build a house, like a little hut. Even a little house, you need a plan. So you do need to to do some planning upfront first before embarking on the implementation. Got it. So if we used, I believe you said it was the Sparkle photo editing app. Is that a real <laughs> app, by the way? The website exists, sparkle.io, yeah. Sparkle.io. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's uh, and we do have like a mini demo version where we demonstrate in-app notifications, but no, it, it's not a real app, no. It's, oh, that's a shame. Otherwise, <laughs> we could put it in the show notes and, you know, urge people to check out the Sparkle photo editing app. But in this case, I'm imagining, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm drawing out the user journey here. Somebody may sign up for a demo, then I want them to add photos, edit photos, and then integrate maybe with Instagram to post to Instagram as an example. And then it's mm-hmm. upgrade to a paid feature of some kind or upgrade to the paid account in order to complete some function like this. So if this was the user journey, I would write, I would collect the data of number of photos added, integration complete. Yep. Some sort of Boolean feature for for that flag, for have they completed integrations yet? Something like that. So a typical uh, onboarding flow goes like this. Uh, you have a l- linear f- sequence, like almost like a drip sequence, but it's not as simple as that. You're sending most of the emails probably to everybody because usually you have like some stories or important educational things to share. But certain emails are almost like feature check-ins. Uh, so you're checking at this stage, is the feature, uh, does the property equal zero? If it equals zero, then we're going to tell them about feature A. If not, let's move forward to the next one. So you're almost replicating a job of a customer success representative that would uh, check in their progress manually. And if they're not active yet, offer them something. And that something can be uh, can range from educational stuff to things like book a technical call with us or some, some other really hands-on engagement. So let's say you want to offer hands-on help, but not to everybody. So you may check in on a certain thing a few times, and the last time they're still not using it, that's the time when you want to escalate and offer them a technical call. By the way, that does not mean they're going to take you up on that, but it's like the desired behavior. Got it. And is this the last stage that you mentioned before where you're iterating? So you're looking at this user journey, planning the emails that would come to them at each stage based on the data and then you would try to improve the the performance of, of these emails, or is this something different? What we described is just putting in the foundations, so just planning your basic onboarding flow. And when you have that in place and launched and running for a couple of months, and then you can just start improving it over time. And sure, there can you, you can spend time measuring like the outcomes and stuff, but I'm gonna have you like disappoint you really hard here because measuring the impact of email versus uh, their autonomous uh, journey, it's a very statistically hard task. In order to like truly compare and measure the impact of your email, you need to A-B test your user volume 
in a way that there will be people who have completely not received any email and converted, and the bucket of people who have received emails and converted. That is the only way to compare. But it's usually very hard to do that because every every cohort of users have their have their own circumstances. Every individual user has their own circumstances and their own intrinsic motivation. And uh, the best you can do is first do something. So like trying to communicate with them is better than not trying. And second, not hurt the situation with uh, insensitive, redundant, pointless, uh, aggressive upsells, uh, hard sells, like just, just being irrelevant or redundant. You don't want to ruin your brand perception there. So th- two things, just do something, but uh, not too much, <laughs> if that makes sense. Understood. So you mentioned redundant or, or too aggressive. How, how do you, what would be an example of this in practice where someone has gone too hard? Let's take the free plan example here. Selling the paid plan. So you have a hard sequence, hard coded, and like on day five, you're going to sell a paid plan to somebody, but they haven't even started using the tool. Mm. That is the biggest mistake you can do is send irrelevant emails that sell something or send something multiple times in a row uh, to a person who is not even in the camp of users yet. So they just create an account, but haven't started using. In your case with the free plan situation, the first goal for that segment is to activate them, meaning they should go from zero to one or from like zero to five, I don't know, uh, from from zero to one on using your tool before sending anything that's related to sales. What What do you do where the user doesn't respond or open or engage with uh, an email that's earlier in the chain? So for example, if we use the photo Sparkle photo mm-hmm. app again, um, say the user doesn't log on to their account, you send once, do you follow up again in a certain time frame, or are there any rules of thumb for these situations? Well, you're doing what you can and you definitely, it's not a silver bullet. So you shouldn't have your expectations too high that you can influence their journey. But just having an educational sequence, a nice, friendly, helpful sequence definitely helps. And by the way, when it comes to email metrics, uh, we have opens, deliveries, opens, and clicks. Opens are not a reliable metric this day because you just cannot, like, we have a lot of email clients that are privacy focused. So you can't make this, make any judgment based on that. Sure, clicks are kind of reliable, but also not every email is intended to be clicked. Maybe it's just informational. And also this, there is another effect that's called billboard, like billboard effect that you get in their inbox. So they might not even open your email, but they may catch a glance over your brand there. Maybe your brand is sending helpful onboarding emails and they know it's useful. They just never have time right now. Or maybe it's sending newsletters. They're not opening them, but they know like, oh, that brand keeps delivering. It does have effect, even though, of course, it's important, impossible to really measure that. Got it. So zooming out a little bit to building this first onboarding sequence, how would you know that you've finished the job, <laughs> finished the first You're version. never done. Never like, done. Okay. The biggest <laughs> mistake is to think that you're going to get everything perfect. And there is first, there is no definition of perfect. And second, uh, even if there was, there is no chance you can hit perfect from the first try. 
So just uh, just focus on uh, iterating. Most likely, you keep producing new educational content. Uh, like that, make sure that you add that content to your onboarding sequence, or maybe you have an evergreen lead nurture sequence. Just make sure it keeps uh, at least being updated with your new stuff, like new videos or new articles. So that then you can. In the amazing mythical world, you would have someone on your team who is a user onboarding champion, and uh, you would have them review the user onboarding. And by the way, we've just been talking about email here, but it's a holistic thing. Like it, it's also the signup experience and uh, what happens around it. So you would have them review the user onboarding flow and the user and receive the user and review the user onboarding email sequence like once a month. It's an amazing practice because you look at this with fresh eyes or maybe even a couple months. But unfortunately, nobody really does it very well. But it's a pretty powerful thing. When you come back to your automations, you're like, oh my God, who even wrote that? That's the kind of effect you have because you set forget and they're like, oh, we've got that and we've got that. That's interesting. That's no longer relevant. That's no longer relevant. And like uh, even fixing those like little mismatches with reality it's already going to go a long way so that's what you can do and then maybe you can have a schedule of like every six months we do something like usually your startup doesn't just stay still so you learn keep learning new things about customer problems so you can maybe redo certain emails or input new things in that automation once in a while not necessarily every month Got it. So this uh, customer success champion is is taking a bigger role after you've <laughs> you've built the uh, the initial sequence to try and optimize it. Are there certain points at which you suggest that they absolutely well and truly review? So almost as if they had a checklist. The uh, sign up flow definitely, um, and just looking through your email campaigns is good enough. Reading through them. Yeah, you can do different things. You can you can like have a spreadsheet where you would go in there and put in like deliver like opens and clicks reports for every campaign for that period. But it's a bit of an overkill, to be honest. It's more about just using your best judgment more than uh, hard measurements on things. But just looking at what uh, typical open rates are on those emails, sure, open rates are not reliable as an absolute measurement. But you can look at your sequence of 10 emails and see that some of them are just dramatically better. So uh, that's a good sign that you can improve something in the, in the rest of those emails. For example, when you are developing your email writing style, as we, we've got a guide on that, you can go and analyze the performance of your last like 20 broadcasts and see what kind of formulas worked better in the subject lines what kind of emails received most like replies manually to your inbox and other things. Just some of them, sometimes you get a feel that some sort of communications resonate better. So just use that information to make more of that. How do you know when you have too many emails that you've overdone the sequence? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there there is not one answer to that because email marketers say, there is never too many emails. I'm I'm historically not an email marketer. Historically, I'm a UX person. So I'm more on the shy side. 
So I don't think you should be emailing your app users every day, honestly. Like hardcore email marketers say, oh, just email them every day or every couple of days and everybody who doesn't want to hear from you will turn. It's like unsubscribe. Probably the truth is somewhere in the middle, but just having this reasonable pace of like publishing is a good idea. Like we don't often, for example, when your product grows, first you email your email list with every new feature update and then there are too many. So you start putting them uh, together in a like newsletter of sorts or a regular update email. And, and, and then you start to plan your communications versus just sending impromptu. So that's a good idea. Another good idea is to orchestrate your emails by days of week so that um, in the campaign settings, you can say that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're not sending any automated emails, for example, because on Tuesdays you're sending your newsletter and Thursdays you're doing like something else. Or maybe you decide that you only send your customer loyalty emails on, on Sundays or something like that. So this is a simple way to make sure they don't overlap as often. But it's not a crime if they do, but uh, you can do some things to improve it. It's very easy to do. I, I can speak from experience, you know, some days. If you sign up to your own email list just to make sure that you can see everything coming through, some days you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't realize we're sending <laughs> two or three on the same day. Oh, we've got to fix that. Yeah, having uh, a subscription to your own email list is definitely recommended. <laughs> Usually you can end up with many of those because you would be like test email, like using your address sometimes as a test. So multiple instances, not necessarily, uh, not necessary, but just, just having one instance of yourself subscribe is, is a helpful idea. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Makes sense. Receiving, as you're receiving emails from other brands, try and notice your own internal like reaction to those. So just pay more attention to your own emotions as you are a consumer of emails from other companies. Do they excite you? Like if something causes positive emotion, just make an immediate mental note and say like, oh, that's nice. Like, oh, that make me, made me act. You'll be surprised, but like we're all pretty primitive. We actually do act on things even though we have like a, what is it? A screen towards marketing. Like we are marketers. So we think like, oh, we're not, perceptive to marketing because of who you are like if, if, if it's good marketing that solves our problem we still will uh act on emails absolutely i see what you mean in terms of reviewing competitors is that something you suggest always be part of the process or it's a bit nice to have to sign up to a couple of competitors and see what they send oh, it's 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 a fun exercise <laughs> but first don't think that others have it figured out Usually email marketing is very underdone, even in the best of companies. Or even worse, when the company grows, suddenly it's no longer making like a fine-tuned personal connection like they used to, but they have different people on different teams and it all becomes like a disorganized thing. So if you want to sign up to like Dropbox and watch their emails, probably there is nothing revolutionary that they can borrow for your own little startup that makes a connection. So Sure, it's fun, but not necessary. There are resources out there who like, we publish a lot of like email examples kind of articles. So you can get the same effect, but in a curated fashion very quickly without having to subscribe. What's interesting, maybe watching a few influencers, uh, like personal brands and seeing if you can borrow some of their stuff to, to be used in your SaaS brand. 
that may be a good idea, but yeah, still like an artist. <laughs> Getting a little bit into the weeds here. Um, this may not have been what you had in mind, but I was curious to know, do you find, you know, plain text emails that come from your customer success person always does better than the typical marketing email of a banner content and button, or do you have any suggestions around formats that work well? It's interesting. We're right in the middle of writing an article about plain text emails. These days when our inbox is full, and, and this is opinion only, there is like no study that I know of that has studied that because of course context is different for a different brand. But in this ocean of marketing emails and like e-commerce emails that we get in our inbox, which are all pretty well designed, short emails and plain looking emails, I think have better chances of being actually read. But this is a personal opinion. And uh, sometimes you need to convey the design polish more than you need to convey the personal relationship. So there is one thing, building this personal relationship with the person via text. And another thing, just conveying that you're a high quality product that can afford good design. Both are like important. What is more important to your brand? That is a question. You can probably do both by adding like some little design touches and keeping the, uh, the, the plain text at the core of it. It's probably a good compromise. So we're not up for like completely plain text Gmail looking emails, but we're not also up for like giant banners and product images and stuff. Got it. Based on your opinion here, unless you have done a study, do you find that it's best to come from a customer success person within the company or is it better to come from TMAD or anything like this? Oh, that on that we do have an opinion and it definitely is like a good practice. So in your from field that would be displayed, it's better to say like Jane from Sparkle or Jane Portman, something personal that puts a persona behind the message. That one is for sure. I, I can't point to a study, but it's definitely working better. Yeah. Something I, I have been playing with myself in other formats as well. And I, I've noticed it makes a massive difference between brand name, obviously, and an individual from brand name. In general, I've been on the, like, I've been running email lists for a personal brand at UI Breakfast for as a, per, like, as a person, as a consultant with a human side, and have been running an email list for, for user list, a SaaS brand. It's night and day how the perception is different and it's so much harder to engage people on the enterprise email list versus a personal one so the best you can do is just try to make feel to make your company email list sound personal and it, like it comes from from the team like it comes from the founder but the perception is still like you're going to have to fight that perception that your company, nobody cares about your emails that much. It's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see what you mean. In terms of making it personal, apart from the very obvious using the uh, the merge field for their name, are there any tips that you have for for that actual copywriting to make it sound more like it comes from a real person rather than a big company? Just use plain English more and don't, don't stuff your emails with words just because you have to write something short is great. Yeah. But personalization, that first name field doesn't necessarily guarantee success to you. So it doesn't even have to be there. If you listen to the audience and know exactly what they struggle with, 
and put that content inside the emails because we have been receiving compliments about our like newsletters. And that's not because we write them in a very special manner. That's because we write useful things in there. So that is more important than including their first name. Also, if your audience includes multiple um, groups of people, that would be amazing to source that information. Like there are tools that can help you survey your website visitors and put them into different buckets. So that's a great tip. For example, my my friend Brennan Dan runs a tool called uh, Write Message. So they've been doing a lot of those little pop-up surveys, like why are you here, what you do, and then drop your email address. So by the time they drop their email address, they've already shared a little bit. So that's one thing. Try to source information about like what they do and why they're here. Another great way to make things relevant is to base your email off their previous action. So that's particularly important in the lead nurture and sales funnels. So you know that they downloaded this particular worksheet somewhere. So then you can make your next email sound exactly like you know what they did first. And you do know. So make use of that. Like in that previous like thing, we did that. Now we do this. So you make all of this more relevant. It's not personalized based on their color of eyes, but it's definitely very relevant to them. That's what makes it successful. In terms of the onboarding flow and the news or general newsletter dynamics, do you suggest that you pause the newsletter during the onboarding or you fuse it in at some point or just let it go at the same time with the the day parting like you had before? Our recommendation is to have a segment that would be called something like qualified for updates. We call it that. And people who are currently undergoing like a user onboarding, like who have recently signed up for either a trial or a email list. So they're receiving either lead nurture sequence or like user onboarding sequence roughly for the first like 20 days. They're not uh, in that segment yet. So we're not sending like general stuff to them or ambushing them with a new workshop if they're in the middle of something more important. So that you can absolutely orchestrate. Got it. And when it comes to evaluating the activation and particularly with email program overall, are there any key metrics that, that you suggest people look for? So going beyond, as you mentioned before, maybe the potential overkill of creating a spreadsheet and looking at the open rate and click-through rate of every email, but how would you holistically evaluate the program? Every So it, email is your growth tool. So you you should consider it a part of your overall growth uh, initiatives and growth initiatives are better done around a certain KPI. So your general business KPI that you're working towards at the moment. So we just had recently great conversation at Better Done Than Perfect with um, Asia Matos or NGO, and they do growth uh, growth services for startups. So they recommend to set every like let's say every quarter or every year, or every six months, have a KPI, for example, uh, a narrow place in your funnel that you absolutely need to grow and focus all your efforts in that direction. And that would also relate to emails. So let's say for user list at the moment, our primary KPI is driving more demos from the, uh, from the uh, driving more demos in general, because we have a nice top of the funnel with the content. Then we have a nice, we're doing a fine job converting them to email signups. But then there is a narrow spot where we want to source more demos from the email list. So with that in mind, 
when I open the email marketing tool, user list, I'm going to be having in mind that KPI and the goal that I need to convert more people into demos. In the activation sense, you can have other KPIs. For example, one of the examples that Asia had was one startup focused really critically on converting users within the first 24 hours, activating, taking them to take first action. Can you imagine like, you cannot arrive at this KPI from like your first iteration. They really did a lot of research and uh, they also ran analytics on their uh, behavior and they learned that that is the most critical time period. So can you imagine like they will be really doubling down on um, trying to get in touch with that user driving activation uh, during those first 24 hours? By the way, fun fact, I've heard opinions that the first email uh, that you're like, welcome, welcome to Sparkle kind of email. Sending them immediately after the user signs up is actually a mistake because they're in the product at the moment. So you will be distracting them with this like inbox notification and it doesn't carry any value. It's, it's, uh, it's not a hard, uh, hard truth, but it's, it's an opinion I've heard. Yeah, very interesting. Is the suggestion then to send it a day later or not at all? No, maybe a few hours is a good uh, compromise. Mm. Uh, who knows? Maybe an hour later. Uh, so, and another aspect that I'd love to mention today, slightly tangent, is that you should think of your onboarding as a multimodal experience. So people want to choose their own adventure. There are definitely a slice of audience who will prefer like complete self-serve, like leave me alone. Just equip me with the date and I'm going to do things. And uh, there is definitely a slice of the audience who will enjoy a demo and onboarding call and handholding. Just make sure you give them this opportunity to choose their own adventure, maybe in the sign-up flow, maybe in their first email. Certainly sending educational stuff via email never hurts. Uh, and they can always opt out using like a preference center. So that's not a problem. But in general, don't think that everybody has their own, just one path that you'll be driving them through. There will be different paths and that's fine. Yeah, I've seen this recently and it was like you said, very helpful because I think the first welcome email was from the founder, says what the product is there for and asks, what is your main objective? Is it A, B or C? And depending on what you choose, it would actually lead to onboarding material specifically related to that particular objective. Yeah. Which was yeah. very cool. That is serving like multiple goals. So it's personalization. It's it's helping uh, them choose their own modality, like their own adventure, yeah, you can you can put different angle on this, but it's a helpful thing to implement, right? Yeah, fantastic. Are there any trends that you're seeing in this space overall when it comes to activating users via email? Anything cool or anything just around the horizon? People tightening their budgets is a trend. <laughs> no, seriously. This year has been kind of brutal. We have both. It's interesting we're in this kind of middle price point. We are a little bit above male chimps of the world, but we're definitely more affordable than like, I'm going to call out the names like Intercom and HubSpot. Their email automation is just outrageously expensive. So we have people flocking to us from Intercom and HubSpot and they're enjoying our tool a lot. But we also, unfortunately, are observing uh, like some churn from customers who haven't been using Userless to its fullest and uh, they're just cutting down their costs altogether. So it's it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> it's not a helpful trend, is it? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand HubSpot, the, the jump from one price point 
to the automation price point is multiple hundreds of dollars. I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion, but it's one that makes me scratch my head. Their funnel, these big companies can afford uh, their startup programs are like $99 kind of kind of price. So everybody's like, oh, amazing. For the first year, I'm going to have that. And then um, reality hits. But yeah, that's what they do. That's what their product funnel looks like. You can can do the same in your own product if you, if you can. <laughs> that's definitely working. Right. All right. So apart from these trends... Great. So for people who want to connect and learn more, where should they go? Definitely userlist.com. And we do have a spectacular blog. Like I can seriously, after years of hard work, can say that. We have very, very niche content for people who do email automation for SaaS products. Like luckily for us, this niche is very underserved. So we were able to publish content that targets very specific problems like email marketing for uh, unpopular pricing models like, I don't know, credits and commission-based, email marketing for B2C SaaS, how exactly to trigger your campaigns, how exactly to plan your marketing. So really hands-on stuff you can find there and hopefully it will help you regardless of the tool you're using. The principles are the same. So just head over here. And we do have a podcast as well called Better Done Than Perfect. So uh, can tune into that if if you're feeling inspired. Excellent. I'll be sure to put both of those in the show, or all three of those in the show notes. Otherwise, Jane, thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Ben. It was a pleasure chatting with you. 